this podcast we will remember Haiti in their voice what are we supposed to be remembering and why Haiti in their voices to be able to hear voices of real people in Haiti but I thought they spoke another language well let's find out This is a Creole phrase meaning we will remember. Nous comptons well. We're happy you've tuned in to the We Will Remember Haiti in their voice podcast or in Creole. Na songe, na what do the Haitian people think about their situation, their lives, their dreams, their culture, their religion, both personally and collectively? How do they see the world? That's what we'll be learning about as we listen to the voices of the people on the street. Or in the countryside or wherever they are in the world. It will be recorded by our colleagues, Rocky, Naji, and Alma, who are co-founders of the Nassonge Vet, or in English, We Will Remember Green, a more recent branch to the foundation's work. English voiceovers will be done by podcast co-host Carla and Ron Blunchley. That's us. Who have lived in Haiti for 38 years, and as a result, uh, we feel we have a better than average understanding of the people, their culture, and their politics. Because of the current extreme insecurity, economic, and humanitarian crises, the Nassonger Foundation, which is based in Haiti, has decided to extend its work now in a digital and audio format, hoping the same work of transformation can come through these interesting and perhaps sometimes shocking revelations from the extraordinary citizens of Haiti. Haiti, as one tradition explains, the Taino name for the land, Aiti, means the land that enables or forces one to rise to one's higher self. These are just the authentic opinions of the everyday person in Haiti, not necessarily reflecting the opinions of the Nassonge Foundation. So let's hear in their voices, Nassonge. Welcome to part two of Jaloki Desab. 
If you didn't have a chance to listen to part one yet, and we hope you do, so we would be delighted to share about this wonderful, positive vibration for the world. Again for you. We've known Jaloki since about 1990, when it just happened we had Swiss visitors at our house in Port-au-Prince who just happened to hand us his business card, though with his birth name, Jean-Luc Desalbes. So when we were looking for an alternative family vacation, it just happened that he was the manager at the exact week our daughter's spring break was. And he was manager of a tiny rustic marina where we began this lifelong friendship. Ja Luki is an engineer, an interfaith minister, a cross-cultural consultant and facilitator, an Ungan Osagwe, or Haitian voodoo priest, an expansion awareness coach, a regular meditator, and an eternal seeker of the mysteries of life. He is also co-founder of our foundation, the Nassonji Foundation, or We Will Remember Foundation. He has lived, studied, worked, struggled, and has thrived and played in several countries in the global south and in the global north. He believes that the time has come for the shift of global human consciousness that has been prophesied by many ancient peoples. His life's calling is to contribute to the co-creation of a mature, diverse, global human family valuing synergetic intelligence among peoples, communities, and institutions. So these days, you may find him engaging in self and collective awareness raising of and healing from the physical, social, cultural, environmental, psycho-emotional, and spiritual fractures mostly created and recreated by neo-colonialism, plutocratic capitalism, and the white supremacist sickness. So you were born in Belgium and you spent time there. Is there anything you want to say about your experience in Belgium and then going to Senegal? Yes. I, I, there are three things that come to my mind from Belgium. One thing is uh, being raised as Haitian without knowing it, uh, having to choose between white and black. The third one was, uh, okay, ancestors in me. So the two that are, well, the three are connected, actually. So I was born in Belgium of, you know, brown skin, kind of dark brown skin dark is relative you know if in, especially in a white in, country like belgium <laughs> exactly exactly you know in certain country i'm white in other countries i'm black and in other countries i'm neither and, <laughs> and in other i'm both so uh, <laughs> yeah absolutely and so so um there were not many black people in belgium at the time and the most of the black people came from the belgian colony which was congo and so People called me Congolese. I was the Congolese, but with a derogatory, you know, almost an insulting. And so I was receiving that. And 
and we didn't have much uh, many Haitian friends. We did have Haitian friends, but I didn't have many uh, Haitian friends my 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 age. Okay, mm -hmm. and so especially in the area where we were living, and so I was I guess drawn magnetically naturally to people who had kind of the same skin color as mm -hmm. I had, and those mm -hmm. were what we called Métis. They were mixed. Mm -hmm. They had one Belgian parent and one Congo Congolese parent. And mm -hmm. I was watching them to some degree, you know, I related with them, you know, the, ex the external experience, but to some I didn't relate with them because they didn't really have a, a country of, of reference, okay? It was Belgian and, and Congo and Belgian, Belgium and Congo were not friends. <laughs> I had IT. And very early, Carla, very early, when I was, I was maybe six, seven, eight years old, I could see the despair, the anguish of not being black and not being white. And they felt that they were not accepted by either uh, communities, okay? Some wanted to be white, but white people would not accept, accept them. And some wanted to be African, and African did not accept them, okay? But did you feel the same too? No, I didn't. I didn't, I think my parents were a big, a big part of that. Well, one of the three things that I was going to say, and I'm going to say it now, is that first, even if we were not raised in Haiti, we were raised as Haitian, but I did not know it. Wow. <laughs> I, I knew it, I discovered it when I went back to Haiti in my, in my 20s. I mean, I used <laughs> to go for vacation, I used to go for vacation, but I went back to live in my 20s. I'll tell you some funny stories. I realized I was Haitian. I was more Haitian than I thought. So, that, so I had I had a foundation. I had I didn't I didn't have a, this confusion about uh, where where I, you know where do I come from, mm -hmm. and and so the first thing I was born I was raised as a Haitian without knowing it. The second is that I was looking at my friends and they they were in between. They couldn't. They were not uh, comfortable. I was you know called a Congolese, and my parents, including my mom, Carla, including my mom with a white mm -hmm. skin, mm -hmm. they taught us from very beginning, as far as I remember, when you're Haitian, you're black by definition. There's no question of you're black, okay? Mm. This, this is a definition. It's not a, a skin color or culture, culture or whatever. By definition, you're black. This is just since the uh, constitution of Dessalines, mm. the first, first um, constitution we had after independence. We had a constitution before independence from Toussaint Louverture, but Haitian, you're black by definition. And my mom, with her white skin, used to teach us uh, culture and, and good manners and morality as a black person and as a black family. She used to say, we the black people, we respect others. We the black people, we are proud. We the black people, we don't we don't do that. I never questioned that. I, it wasn't even never, you know, this white woman talking to me, <laughs> me have to be black. She was very white. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so very early in my mind, it was clear to me, okay, I'm black, whether I want it or not. Mm. And so I better want it. And so from now on, I decide to be black. And it was a political decision. I didn't know it was a political decision at the time. It was more like, mm. a, like a, okay, if I, if I want to navigate in this world, mm. even, even if, I want, if I think I'm, I'm blue or pink or, or yellow mm. or white, the world is not going to see me like that. So I'm black. Okay, I'm black. Okay. I'm black. Okay. You tell me I'm Congolese? Yeah, I'm Congolese. What's the problem? Okay. 
<laughs> That's wonderful. Okay. And yeah. so, uh, first, I was raised Haitian. Second, I decided to be black. And third, and that went even beyond Belgium. As you said, I lived nine years in Senegal. Then I went back to France to study. <laughs> and for fun, I used to, you know, when we were in conversation and, you know, talking about culture and things, and, and I felt that I didn't relate with the, the way people were doing things or their value system. And I used mm -hmm. to tell them, well, okay, I understand, but we Haitian. You know, in Haiti, this is how things happen, you know. But I would make things up. I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> but you were grounded by your parents. Absolutely, absolutely. And people were fascinated. Wow, wow, this is a, this is a very interesting <laughs> culture. And, and in my mind, I was, yeah, I got you, I got you. <laughs> I, I was, you know, telling people, I was educating people in the Haitian culture, in Vodou, etc. you know. And I had <laughs> never been in a, in a Vodou ceremony. <laughs> I, I had barely been in IT, you know, just for vacation a few weeks. Not I'd say a few weeks, like a week and a half. And I was yeah. I was the expert on, on Haitian culture. But Carla, mm. I went back to IT and I started to really getting into Vodou until I became an initiated Vodou priest. But very quickly mm -hmm. I I got the realization, oh shoot, what I was saying was true. But what that told me was okay, maybe it was not just me talking. Okay, someone bigger, more knowledgeable than, than I was, was talking through me. And that oh. gave me a, a reverence. You know, I, I started to look at myself and say, whoa, 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 okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my Haitian essence, my Haitian identity, my Haitian-ness was actually rooted in Belgium. I was Haitian because of my parents, because of the adversity of society. And because of my ancestors talking through my mouth. Wow. Wow. Was Belgium, was, was it racist at the time? You felt that or not? You know, everything is relative. Mm -hmm. when, when, when I compare to racism right now in the U.S., mm. it, was, it was like kindergarten racism. <laughs> oh, brother. From what I experienced. Now, now let's be clear. The racism of Belgium as a people and as a government, as a kingdom, okay, mm. against African people is, oh my God. is unfathomable, unfathomable, yeah. okay, let's be clear, <laughs> but yeah. I experienced that firsthand myself, and I had, I don't know, you know, Haitians, <laughs> we're kind of arrogant, <laughs> we, we, at the same time, <laughs> we, we're at the bottom of everyone, but we feel that we are on the top, and <laughs> And that's how I feel. I mean, I can't, I can't help it, you know. And so, <laughs> I love it. It's yeah, true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I remember very well, I must have been seven. Seven, walking, going to, to school. It was like a five, six block from, from home. My parents trusted me. We didn't have cell phone at the time, of course. Walking. And there was a group of uh, little Belgian kids, a few boys and girls, maybe five or six. And they were mocking me, you know, monkey, monkey, hooba, hooba, hooba. <gasps> Yeah, yeah. Oh, Congolese, no. Congolese. And it was funny for me. It was like amusing. Okay. And then, and that's another time when I spoke, and now I know it was not me speaking because I was not at the age mm. of, the, of the wisdom that came out of my mouth. And there's an adult, a Belgian white person, a man, 
who came and he, he you know, told the, the kids to, to to go home and they went away and he came to me and said, I'm, I'm sorry, are you all right? You know, did they harm? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. They didn't do anything to me. They were doing it to themselves. You said that? I said that. But at the time, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand the weight. Right now, when I remember saying that, I'm saying, whoa, who said that? <laughs> wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I didn't feel, it didn't touch me. Absolutely not. I mean, I, it was out of my imagination that what they were doing and saying could affect me because I knew who I was. You know, they, they, were, they were just making, making themselves ridicule. Oh, Cha, if everybody could have that kind of security in who they are, we would be a richer, beautiful world, you know? I think so, too. I think so, too. Although, as far mm. as I'm concerned, I need to work on the, on the arrogant part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, I think there's a balance, and you are finding it, I really believe. So you went from Belgium. Your parents moved to Senegal. So, so let's go back to the... Oh, yeah, your father uh, yeah, leaving, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was saying that uh, they were very engaged in a um, Catholic youth movement, and their engagement involved what now would be called activism for social justice. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they, they didn't use those terms, but uh, they were oh. activists, and they were very active activists for social justice, which meant that they were fighting against the... Um, oppression, uh, segregation, and oh, there's another word. Marginalizing. Yeah, marginalizing that was exacerbated by the government. Mm -hmm. And and they were not scared and they were speaking, you know, especially my father, but my mom too. You know, she was Mm -hmm. right there by Mm -hmm. side. And people like them were starting to being, quote unquote, disappeared. Oh. Yes. And, and, and now we know that they were being tortured and killed. And, and so uh, more and more, and that's when uh, we're starting to talk about the brain drain. Because of his uh, stature, my dad already had many contacts outside of IT, had already traveled. Actually, they got engaged on the uh, St. Paul's uh, Plaza in Rome in 1956. Yeah, they were engaged. They they were traveling. They were already traveling back and forth. Together? Yes, together. So the Catholic Church was promoting and sponsoring them to travel and make these connections. Exactly. Wow. And through these connections and these friends and networks, you know, they decided to leave the country. So they were part of that generation of exiles. They wouldn't have survived. They would have been taken and and killed very, almost very certainly. So the family put pressure on them to leave or they just they knew they I don't know to. if it's the family it may actually be their their colleagues from other countries who, who were saying mm. hey listen we, we, mm. we still need you you, you can't you can't really stay mm. in the in the danger there so it's it, it was all what was called youth movement and in youth movement my mother represented la, la jeunesse étudiante catholique the, the youth student the Catholic youth student, I don't know how you say that. I don't know mm-hmm. if those movements still exist, okay? And this mm-hmm. is an international organization, and they had big, big, big gathering and conferences and, and jamboree, you know, in, in India or in, in Taiwan or in Argentina, you know, every, I don't know, two, three years. And my father was in La Joc, La Jeunesse Ouvrière Catholique, the workers, young Catholic workers, 
Mm-hmm. And Najok was also an international organization, really, actually connected to some UN organization, including the, they, they were working with l'Organisation Internationale du, tra- du Travail, Labour International, uh, I, don't, I f- forgot how to say that in, uh, in English, and Bureau International du Travail, International Labour Bureau or something. And there was an organization the way WAI, the World Assembly of Youth, the World Assembly of Youth, I don't believe that it still exists, was the youth response to what the movement that of the countries that call themselves non-aligned countries. Non-aligned? The, yes, non-aligned countries. The non-aligned countries were countries from quote-unquote underdeveloped you know, uh, nations or developing nations, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who said they were not aligned with the West or, or with the East. Ah. They were not aligned with, with the, the U, you know, US and Europe or with uh, Russia, which, which was a communist at the, at the same time. It was called the uh, USSR. Uh, and right. so they, they, they started to create their own non-aligned movement to create a, a political, you know, use their leverage against those uh, powerful uh, countries. I, I think that doesn't exist anymore. But um, mm. and so there was the youth branch, if you want, mm. growth, which was World Assembly of Youth. My father was deputy secretary general of that uh, association for for a few years, and and so they used to to meet all over the place. And it was funny for us years after that, when he was not you know part in the youth movement. Many mm. of those youth who who were deeply engaged and entrenched, I would say. In, in politics, you know, that, that was mm-hmm. their political, like a, like a platform, many of them became head of states uh, <laughs> in, in the decade after, you know. And so whenever we, were, we used to, to get the news and uh, such and such now is the new president of uh, Tunisia, and uh, my father said, oh, I know him, <laughs> you know, we were together, <laughs> we shared a room uh, in, in, uh, in Chile, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's amazing! Yeah. Yeah. And 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 to consider also, as you were talking about his history, where he came from, uh, the fact that he was so dynamic, obviously, yes. from it proves exactly what you're talking about—the cultural depth of Haitians, especially as they say on Deum, and we say you know, yes. they're inside, they're inside the heart of the country, and and Necker was just a a, a diamond glowing and went out into the world. It's, totally. it's wonderful. Totally. You know, IT, <laughs> it's the land of paradox. Okay. Mm, and one idea. of the paradox is that we're small, little, forsaken. We're not even an island. We're, we're a third of an island. <laughs> third. You know, you know, on Earth. And, and this little uh, 10 million or so people, part of this... Um, big humanity of, uh, I don't know, 7 billion we are now. I don't know how many we are. It goes so fast. But at the same time, IT holds the whole world inside. We have all cultures inside of us. We have all the history of the world, and especially around the Atlantic. We are European. We are African. We're, we're from the Americas. But we have also from Asia we, and, and from stars. I tell you, I have to tell you the story right here. Yes. Because there was a young man that came to visit. And oddly, that weekend that he came, there was both a 
wedding that we went to, and there was a funeral that we went to together with him. Mm -hmm. He was all by himself. And on the way back from the funeral, we were riding in an overloaded truck full of people (laughs) laughing and singing and packed in. And we were inside the truck, and he turned to me, and he said, you know, I feel like I'm in the middle of the universe. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. That's what it is. And, you know, for example, I always say, and I'm not the only one, Haiti is a Caribbean country. Yes, yes, we're in the Caribbean. That's true. And Haiti is an African country. Mm -hmm. Haiti is the most African, the the, the Haitian people is the most Mm -hmm. African people in the America. We're much more African in many senses than other black countries. And when I say Africa, I should say Pan-Africa. Because in this, this little island, usually when we have our cousins from Africa who come to visit from wherever they come from, from Africa, particularly, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, black Africa, mm-hmm. they will find something in Haiti that comes from their, their country. They will recognize themselves. They say, oh, wow, this is just like home. But at the same time, they will find things that they don't know because it comes from somewhere else in Africa. We have all, all Africa is in Haiti. Well, isn't it how voodoo has ah. gathered all you of want to go there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the ceremony of Boakaima, mm. which I'm going to refrain from start, you know, to, to <laughs> talk about too much. I'll let you do that maybe at another time. And I'll let your listener to make their research. Well, this isn't our first interview or our last. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The ceremony of Boakaima, which is credited to be, and it might have actually been several ceremonies, mm-hmm. uh, but it's credited, you know, symbolically one ceremony that was when the enslaved people and Maroons, okay, Maroons, fugitive, runaway, slave, free, along with the few descendants of the indigenous people of Haiti, many of them were Tainos, but not just Taino, that's when they called all the spirits, both from all the people and places in Africa and from the Americas and from the island, and decided to, for the, you know, to go for the, the first revolution and to, to go to war against the slave and, and colonialist uh, society, which led to a success. Well, the ceremony of Boakaima, and I'm not the only one who says that, some writers, some, some historians, even Western historians have mm. said that before me, was the first Pan-African Congress in the world. Oh, my. Wow. They recognize that. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And then Toussaint Louverture and Dessalines, and even Boyer, even Boyer, maybe not um, Pétion, but even Boyer showed intention and desired to reconnect uh, with, uh, with African nation, and not only to reconnect, to bring back freedom there, too. Boyer? Who was the yes, president? I, I after Pétion. So Haiti is a Pan-African country. And right now, something that I've, I can say that I've advocated for, because I, I didn't do it publicly, but I've talked about with many of my friends for years and years, that Haiti uh, should, should have a seat on the African uh, Union. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and right now we do. We do well. It's an it's a observer seat for, for now. Really? Yes, yes. Since since uh, under uh, Martelly, president. <laughs> it, yeah, no. it didn't make much noise, but we are observer. 
in the African Union. And I think it's a first step. And one day we will be part of the African Union and not a, a negligible part. Wow, that's exciting. Ja, I know um, we've gone a long time here and we haven't even really um, started. <laughs> no, I think one of the things I'd like perhaps in this first episode with you, because I really would like to do more, because I think you really articulate a lot about being Aïtien, that other Aïtien, you, they, they feel <laughs> it, but you articulate it so well, especially um, for the outside world. But I, I would really like perhaps for this first one, because Haiti is so much in the news, it's negative news, and it's perplexing and frustrating and horrible and feels like the world, once again, has forgotten or is ignoring, perhaps, this time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could say what you feel is happening. How do you feel as a Haitian, right now in this moment in, in the world, I, I don't even know if the question is to say what you would like to see happen or what you think might happen. I'm not exactly sure how to phrase the question. I think you understand what I'm trying to say. It's, and you've, you've told me this before, and you know, like you were saying, how the wound has to, the pus has to come out, the blood has to happen for the healing to happen. Um, yeah. I guess... This week, the UN will be voting on whether they will send a multinational force to Haiti. The Security Council is supposed to vote on that on the 15th, I believe. Yeah. But th talk, talk about paradox. If yeah. that wasn't a so sad uh, news, it would be very laughable. If what wasn't sad news? Um, to have the solution being considered having uh, Kenyan police yeah. people to bring peace and order in IT. Mm. Mm. Okay, so in that this episode probably won't be for another couple of weeks before I get it out. Why don't you just mm, say what you think should happen or could happen? Help me here. <laughs> yeah, I think I understand the question. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not, not that I do, but... Um... Maybe I'll answer to to, to a non-question, <laughs> or I won't answer. I mean, I, 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 I may come with more questions by doing. First, I want to offer a disclaimer. As as much as I almost, I I'm a diaspora now. I'm a diaspora, okay. Diaspora, mm -hmm. which is really really strange for me to carry that uh, that label, mm -hmm. because. You know, all the, the years I, I spent in, in IT as, as Haitian uh, native Lakai, even if I was not born on the soil of IT, but I always felt uh, that I was uh, very intimately, intricately connected with the, the land. And part of my uh, uh, service, I think, was mm -hmm. sometimes to help diaspora, what we call diaspora, Haitian who live uh, outside of IT. To help them reconnect <laughs> and re um, re understand and remember, mm. you know, the culture, the language, the spirituality, the the society, the political even less because that's not my forte. But um, anyway, so I haven't been physically in Haiti since 2000. I think it was 2018. So that's uh, that's almost it's probably five years, which is a lot of time for IT, and especially mm -hmm. especially these last five years. So so one, 
I have to recognize that I am in you know, some way disconnected from the current reality of IT. And second, there is something that I think all Haitians outside of IT right now, well, all Haitians have to recognize and face. And this is something that we'll have to heal at some point in the future, mm-hmm. is that right now there's a clear, sharp difference between the people who are living in the terror right now in the country and who cannot leave, who cannot escape, mm-hmm. and us who are kind of uh, privileged and can go to sleep without fearing mm-hmm. that we get a bullet or, or we get raped in the very walls of our homes at yeah. any time yeah. for, for, for no reason, for not even to be, to be by thieves. It's just, you know, my, my friends and family, they tell me right now, you always have your coffin under your, your arm, even inside your home. Mm. So, so this, is, this is, I mean, I, I can't even imagine the mm. difference between me here not going through that experience and my close people and, and people who are not close in IT living right now in that experience. And, and, and you have to survive. You have to find coping mechanism to survive and still, you know, cook food and go mm. into the market and take a camionette and, and you know, go visit mm. your, your aunt. And it's, 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 uh, or try to imagine. make some money. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 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 So, so I have to recognize that from that perspective, I am in no position to say what I'm going to say. Mm. It's, it's too easy for me. And I'm going to give an example. You know, it's easy for me to say that a military intervention will not solve Haitian problem right now because we have experience of history. Yes. All the military intervention has, has made, have made the situation worse. And maybe it was the intention. That's another conversation. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, but so, mm-hmm. so, you know, when you look at history and uh, we're talking about another military intervention and we say, okay, we know it's not going to work. It's probably going to make things worse. But some of people close to me in IT right now, that's not how they feel. And I understand. Yeah, I've heard the same I thing. Totally yeah. understand. Yes. So I, I honor that. I, I want to honor that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm going to start between comparing just briefly IT and the U.S. Oh. <laughs> the two sisters. Oh. Or mm. we're almost, I don't know if that could exist, reverse twins. You know, reverse twins twin. are, are the, the exact image. You know, real twins are in, in, exact image of each other. We mm-hmm. are the the opposite, yes. it's like the, the negative of each other. Okay? We don't know which is the positive, do we? Well, <laughs> well uh, I think we do. None, none right now is positive. Right. Because, right. because if you use positive and negative in, in the sense of, uh, of uh, you know, harmony and, and something that's sustainable and beautiful, right now, because we are so entangled and mirroring each other, both of us are positive or both of us are negative. And right now, we're more negative than, than positive on both sides. Well, you can feel that, yes. Mm-hmm. And so you have the super big, uh, powerful country, uh, nation under God, <laughs> uh, that is trying to define and determine and, and realize whether it's white or not. It certainly mm. started as white. And mm. 
where wealth is and where where political power is and where where military power is. And then you have Haiti, 90 minutes in plane from Florida. Okay, next door. It's 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 faster to go from Miami to Port-au-Prince than from Miami to New York City. So and then Haiti, who started black, that's very uh, clear, impoverished, supposedly Christian. I won't mm-hmm. uh, go too much into details here. Mm-hmm. And we are the shadow of the United States. And when the shadow is uh, sick, and when the shadow is starting to emerge and make noise, it's usually we human, we want to repress it. We don't want to face our shadow. That's what's happening right now from, you know, from the, the U.S. But I just, mm-hmm. I just uh, give this example, but I want to expand it. IT is a part of some nations who are carrying the shadow of the world. What you see in IT is the result of centuries of action exactions, misactions of the powerful world. And with a lot of things that the powerful world would want to, to keep hidden, okay? It's nice to see, and now I'm, I'm expanding a little bit, uh, not just IT, but so people will understand. It's nice where when a, you know, a young man is offering a beautiful diamond to his uh, fiancés, okay, go look at their history. How was this diamond produced? Okay, mm-hmm. who suffered from it? What horror were, were made for the, the, the diamond? But we show only the diamond, we, we hide the history. Well, IT is the history of the diamond that you cannot hide. And so right now, let me give a parenthesis. This is just my, uh, what I'm going to say here is, is just my belief. It's just, you know, it's just me. It's just me. <laughs> mm-hmm. People may, may, may agree or not. Mm-hmm. We are living the time that the ancients called the time of revelations, where what has been hidden will be revealed, is being revealed. Mm. And the time of revelation has an effect, produced several effects. And one of the effects is the collapse of the empire. <laughs> Elon is falling. The collapse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see it, it happening, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to accelerate more and more. I don't think there's a return right now. It's, it's the point of return is past, which actually may, may lead to the collapse of, of humanity. <laughs> we don't mm-hmm. know yet. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. And to avoid the collapse of humanity along with the collapse of the empire, by the way, parenthesis, those who cling to the status quo are and will collapse, are collapsing and will collapse along with the empire. Those who can desire or want to, to avoid being part of that, uh, of that landslide, Lavalas, <laughs> <laughs> okay, better find a, a different way to be. And I, it's my understanding that many of them are not finding the way, have not found the way yet. Many people, especially in the U.S., but not just in the U.S., okay, in Europe, in, 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 everywhere in the world, even people who are not part of the uh, global, global North, they're saying, okay, this is not working. This, this, is, this is not, this, there must be another way. There must be another way to, to be human. Hmm. But what is it? Okay, and they don't know exactly. Well, hmm. countries, nation, people, like the Haitian people, we have some answers to that question. We, we may not have the, the, whole, the, whole, the whole answer. We have some answers to that question. Now, 
in order to get to the place where we can offer those answers to that question. Again, parenthesis, I remember, mm -hmm. quote attributed to um, Albert Einstein. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, he said something along the lines of uh, you cannot solve a problem in the state of mind that created that problem. OK, well, the world is in a big problem right now. And in the same state of mind. Exactly. The powerful mm -hmm. of the world are trying to solve the problem in the same state of mind where they actually created the problem and they continue to, to create it. IT is coming with a different state of mind. IT is coming with the reverse, the negative. It's, it's the in-between, the reverse. We are, we are the reverse of the, the established status quo. The, mm -hmm. the world is upside down. Mm -hmm. In IT, we can put it upside up. But in order to get there, we have to liberate ourselves. We have to, to get rid of the mm -hmm. energy of the empire that we have accepted, that we have put, that we have um, imposed on ourselves. Mm. And getting rid of that is painful, is violent, is horrific, is terrifying. That's what's happening right now because it feels like a collapse. It certainly does. It feels it's like destruction, but there's a universal cosmic, metacosmic, polycosmic, multicosmic law of life. In order to create life, you have to destroy life. In order to be born, you have to die. And so part of us is dying, but the part of us that is dying is dying in its time. It's time for it to die. Mm. And so the new part can, can come through. And there are signs. There are signs. Mm. There are signs. And so as a Haitian, I feel a multiple responsibility on my shoulder for my ancestors to honor what they did and to continue the work for my contemporary uh, human beings because I have something we have something that we cannot keep from just ourselves we have to offer it to the world but in order to do that we have to heal and in order to heal there's a lot of pain mm. that will happen and for the great-grandchildren of our great-grandchildren, the seventh generation, Carla, mm. your great-grandchildren of the great-grandchildren of your great-grandchildren will be Creole. <laughs> so I'm their great-great-great-grandfather. I'm the prototype. I'm the one who's, who's giving you the model of your descendants. And so in order to do that with honor, I have to be able to... Uh, show you that it's possible to do in a powerful, beautiful, harmonious, sustainable way. So I have to do that with myself. We have to do that with ourselves, IET. We have to show that, okay, we look like we're failed, but failure is the mother of success. <laughs> we, mm. we, we, we have to go through the failure or to the apparent failure so we can, we can show you where success is. And success is not right now in the models of the powerful global north. Ja, I have to tell you that as you speak and as you spoke just now, I could feel everything you said, the truth, the reality of what you said in my very being. Hi, mm. Bobo. Mm -hmm. Respect mm -hmm. for that. Mm. Honor yes. to to all. 
There are no more words anymore for gratefulness, thankfulness, appreciation there. They don't carry the weight of the heart, but I believe that it carries through some other universal wavelength that yes. is beyond words. And I send that to you right now. Thank you. Received <laughs> deeply. Thank you. Nous no matter where you at, we will remember Haiti on the voice would appreciate your support to keep spreading Haitian voice. In fact, it would be great to have a better equipment and help to cover transport and communication costs. Given the precarious crisis around the country because of the gangs, mobility has become very difficult and risky to reach people who have been forced to abandon their homes to find refuge somewhere. But in spite of everything, Nassange is making effort to give people a chance to share their voice with us. The Nassange Foundation sees that many young people want to leave the country or even the gangs because life is getting more difficult day by day. But the foundation is optimistic as its philosophy continues to inspire young people through activities such as recycling, reforestation, and transformation of the earth and ourselves, but not especially to this broadcast. Hey, don't forget these wise Asian proverbs. The bone you see in the world once had flesh on it. Many hands make a light load because one day we know Haiti will be beautiful again. Nasanje! I just wanted to uh, add a few things or make uh, some commentary on what Ja was sharing. We've known Ja for a long time. It struck me the things that he was sharing that uh, makes him kind of unique or uh, exceptional. Very subtle. Very, Very much exceptional. so. <laughs> In addition to what he may have just been born with, however he understands that, um, he was also raised by two parents that were bucking the system, that were teaching him to not accept the classism and, and racism of, of the system. Mm. So he didn't have that burden from his parents. And he also, they gave him his Haitian identity, let him know that he was Haitian and to be proud of it. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, there are people in Haiti that raise their children that way as well, but then their kids go to school and then they're in Haitian society and they get mm. a completely different message. And Ja encountered racism in Belgium, but he was raised outside of Haiti and outside of the dynamics here. Or and there. unfortunately, there. in Haiti, in <laughs> Haiti, I mean, when I say here, that's <laughs> no. just where I've been so long. But people that, you know, we know some people that are solid and, and know their identity and know their Haitian and are proud of that. Mm-hmm. And we know a lot of them like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the Haitian society is very, how they say, complexe mm. about color, class. You know, things like the darker you are, you're uglier if you're darker, uh, if your hair is more frizzy, then your your hair mm. is bad. The same sort of things you see in, in America, in black communities, where they still carry some of the scars of slavery and the demeaning attitude of the dominant race and all that. In Haiti, it's perpetuated itself, even though they kicked the French out a couple centuries ago. It's They were so deeply scarred by the uh, slavery experience that unfortunately they've carried a lot of insecurities and self-doubt, especially about voodoo and their race and their, their standing in the world. And they've been told so many things that have made them doubt the value of their identity as Haitians. Mm. And that's mixed with that underlying pride of having conquered the French and and liberating themselves and establishing their own country. The only case that that ever happened, of course, they incurred the wrath of the the white world ever after for that affront. Mm -hmm. Still to this day. (laughs) Still to this day, even if it's not stated as clearly as it used to be. The spiritual force of, of that rejection is still there. And it, it expresses itself in political action. So we've really seen, this is something that's impacted me a lot, is seeing the collective damage of racism. It makes me understand the American <laughs> situation better than I did when I mm. lived there. You understand the American situation? Yes. Like I how? Well, how racism affects people because I've seen, you know, saw how it affects Haitian society so much, even though they're, from an outsider's point of view, well, they're all black. What's the deal? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but the, mm. <laughs> it's not so easy, not so simple. And it's one of the things that Haiti needs to deal with, that Haitians often talk about this. They need to change a fundamental mentality so that they latch on to the things that Ja has grabbed onto or, or just been natively born with or whatever, mm. where he draws on the strength of Haitian identity and is not debilitated by the self-doubt that has been instilled in the Haitian people collectively. Just the fact that you can imagine having your parent as, as dark as Necker was and as white as Yolande was, and hearing the same message from mm-hmm. both these sides, so you you don't even question it as a child. Mm-hmm. So that really gave him an advantage, I think, and then yeah. not going up in the complex uh, society that Haiti is. Well, yes, and the fact that he, uh, he understood, you know, when he was uh, called names by white people, he understood that, that was their problem mm-hmm. as a child. That's Kind of exceptional, even in addition to all these uh, external factors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, the other point that I wanted to address was 
the question of the intervention. Yeah. And I understand totally all the people that are against it, all the people that say that just look to the past and how all those interventions failed. They can't solve the problem. Well, they bring problems they with them. They bring problems yeah. with them. And that's true. And the way I look at that is in the current situation is the same thing. The powers that want to help Haiti, supposedly, they don't have the right tools. They're like a surgeon who knows how to cut out tumors, mm. but doesn't know how to promote a healthy lifestyle doesn't know how to diagnose a variety of illnesses, just knows how to cut the tumor out. Mm. And that's what the foreign diplomats and the United States, that's how they look at a problem here. This, this is something to cut out and then impose a different way of doing things on them that doesn't fit. It hasn't worked. When they come in, there was a time when they came in and it facilitated the end of the Haitian army, which at that time was a very good thing because they were an oppressive force and it opened the door for democracy to start. Of course, six months later they crushed it, but mm -hmm. you know. The, the difference in this situation is that the past UN intervention, the main problem with it was they were trying to stifle a movement that was that the West, the U.S., deems unacceptable. Aristide as president, Aristide was left-leaning, Aristide was calling for reparations. I'm not saying Aristide was all uh, hunky-dory and, and great. I think he, he had some, some personal problems you know, with power. Still, why did the U.S. intervene in that case? They wanted Aristide out. And the gangs, as they were at the time, were largely Lavalas, supporting Aristide. So the UN came in, they shot a bunch of people up, and um, they broke the strength of the Lavalas movement. You know, even if that objective was a good one, they needed to leave within a year after that. Hmm. But they stayed for years and years, and they brought cholera, and they brought rape, and they brought kidnapping, and, you know, all sorts of bad things. And when they left, they left a vacuum, and they hadn't resolved any of the root problems. The root problems have to be solved by Haitians, and they have to be allowed to solve their own problems without the, the West, especially the U.S. and France and Canada, the three main actors, but the U.S. is the main actor, imposing their own will on Haiti and saying, no, you can't do it that way, you have to do it this way. Mm -hmm. They just have to stop that. But for the moment, for the present situation, we need the surgeon. You know, they know how to do that, and that's what we need. We need the gangs to be broken before anything else can happen. So many people have left where they lived, where they had businesses. Their businesses are destroyed. They're leaving the country as much as they can or just displaced and, you know, going to other parts of the country. It's as bad as after the earthquake in terms of refugees. From, from Port-au-Prince. Well, just, it's worse than economically. Economic, yeah, economically it's worse. Well, They've people just been ignoring it. Well, people can't make a living because they're afraid it's dangerous on the yeah. street, right? Yeah, we just saw some footage of uh, the downtown area that used to be the thriving center of Port-au-Prince. Oh, my goodness. It's empty. Yeah. And just broken down. Mm -hmm. We're living this personally. <laughs> we can't go. We can't go home. Mm. to our house because the gangs have taken over that area. I hope that they will offer 
some sort of amnesty program where people can voluntarily come in, give up their arms, and then, but... Uh, well, be arrested or... Yeah. You know, I, I have no faith in the system dealing with that situation very well. I think it, it's inevitable that there's going to be uh, real problems, especially trying to integrate these people back into their communities. Mm-mm. We could all hope that the, the better angels will be called upon. That's how I view the current situation and the current intervention. I have to say it's an exception. In this case, Haiti needs it. Mm-hmm. And I just hope that they do what they need to do and then get out as soon as possible. I was so moved by an interview that was done on Metropole Tele in Haiti yesterday. There was an interview with Pierre-Antoine Louis, and I just thought his, his take on the situation and his call to the people to understand this intervention was so moving that I wanted to use his voice and translate that for you. I think it's really important to understand how the the yearning for this intervention to be useful to the nation to step forward from where they are and to become that great nation that they have always been. Um, hello. So what I'd like to say, I'm not a hypocrite, I'll admit and not hide that I support the decision of the Security Council yesterday because effectively Haiti finds itself in a situation where people are suffering physically. I figure among those who are privileged in this country. I know how to read. I have three university diplomas. I can make my own living. I went to renowned schools in foreign countries. I've traveled to 35 countries. I have participated in at least four different missions for peacemaking in Sierra Leone. Kosovo, Rwanda, Ivory Coast, and have done other things in many other African countries. I was a U.S. Marine as well as an American diplomat. Haiti is suffering in its flesh, and we, because of our puerile behavior, have allowed the country to be treated like infants. Today, Haiti is on her knees. I believe Haiti is a great nation. Today, Haiti has people that don't know their role, they don't know who they are. I believe that Haiti was born to be a great nation and is a great nation. So what we have to do today, from this resolution that was passed today, 2699, is to establish security in the country, to create a political accord, to create a government with a larger civil consensus, to establish an urgent plan to reestablish security that has the army Haitian army as part of it. Whether the Americans want it or not, Haiti is not a colony of the United States of America. Haiti is a country unto itself. We should use this occasion for our brothers, the Kenyans, our Jamaican brothers, our Bahaman brothers, and brothers that come from other countries that is going to permit us to make peace so we can stop doing the stupidity in the country so that Haiti can become part of the Council of Nations. My sisters and brothers, this is what I'm asking you as a father. I don't agree that these forces come here and all they do is kill the young man. It's us, those of us from the elite like myself, who have created the conditions, who didn't do what we should have done so the country can produce, that it could provide jobs, 
And those of you using corrupt politics who put these guns in the hands of these young men, now talking to the gangs, young men, you're going to give us a chance and put the guns down. It's a brother talking to you. I'm a father with children. They're going to give us a chance for you to lay down the guns. And if you don't lay down those guns, they will make you, and some of you will be arrested, and others will die. But we Haitians should not accept that these men will come and kill all these young men. That's not why they're coming. They're coming to help us to do decisions that we've never taken in the country, take a plan of development. So I hope it's in this spirit that we understand what is coming. I don't have a fatalist outlook. I can't be triumphant. While foreign boots, even those they're African, that are walking on the land of Dessaline. But it's what we've done. We ourselves put ourselves in this position, and this is what we need to ask of the civil society, so that conditions are created, and that they stop using the government's resources for their own personal affairs, but to put education in the country, to put health centers in the country, and put a security plan into the country. That's why they're coming here, the Kenyans, who are coming to help us to do. Are we up to it? Thank you, Metropole, for allowing me to share that. The music for our intro and outro portions of our podcast was commissioned by the Nassangé Foundation. That was me asking our dear friend and songwriter Mona Augustin to write a theme song for the foundation. So he composed this beautiful song and our band, De Racine, or Two Roots, performed it and is available on our album links and show notes along with the English translation. Of course, not forgetting Shukwa Liberté or the tree stump of freedom. There are links in the show notes to find more of their music on YouTube. Our podcast artwork is by our colleague, friend, and multi-talented artist, Naji, who will be opening an Etsy shop soon to showcase reproductions of his original work for sale. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and maybe even learned something new. IET is the land and the voices that enable one to rise to one's higher self. So perhaps you may have even felt the gentle tug from those loving arms of Mama Aiti, lifting you to higher ground. Na songe. <laughs>